0: Welcome to Horty Springer's Health Law Expressions podcast on a segment we like to call the Kickback Chronicles. I'm Henry Cassell.
1: And I'm Hayley Mazoffer. We invite you to kick back and relax as we dive into this week's case.
0: The title of today's podcast is Are Exploiting Medicare and Medicaid?
1: Today, instead of looking at just one case, we'll review a compilation of cases all decided in the past week, all involving different types of pharmaceutical fraud. These cases run the gamut from the straightforward to the elaborate, with each taking on a different facet of the pharmaceutical industry. These cases demonstrate the length that some people go to to unlawfully make a buck, or more accurately millions of dollars, from the Medicare and Medicaid programs as well as the methods that the government uses to combat fraud. We're going to start out with one of the lowest recoveries, only a mere million dollars, in a straightforward fraud scheme. And then move on to cases where the fraud is more elaborate, the amounts defrauded are a lot larger, and each penalty more severe than the last.
0: So the first case we're going to talk about today comes out of the NH Pharmacy in Lake Mary, Florida. Ronald Beasley II was the pharmacist in charge of RH Pharmacy, and as part of RH Pharmacy's regular course of business, they prepared compounded
1: medications. Now, I'm not a former pharmacist like you are, Henry. Two of my last roommates were pharmacists, so I feel like I have a little bit of liberty to speak here. But a compounded prescription, isn't that a relic of the past? You know, like when pharmacies had soda fountains? I'm certain that many of our listeners are like me and have never received a compounded prescription. So just so we're all on the same page for those listening that aren't entirely sure what a compound medication is... Pharmacists actually make these prescriptions, as directed by a physician, by combining or altering ingredients to create a medication tailored to the needs of an individual patient.
0: Hela, you (laughs) sure know how to make me feel old. Actually, as old as I am. I am so old that when I took my Maryland Pharmacy State Board examination in 1979, they actually made us prepare a compounded prescription as part of the examination. My compounded prescription, oh man, you're really bringing back bad memories, because it was a holy mess, and I've always wondered how I ever passed that part of the exam. But that's not a big deal, since in the years that followed, I do not recall ever actually compounding a prescription. Today, it's even more unusual for a pharmacy to compound a prescription. Not only is compounding time-consuming, but it also leads to disputes with payers. When a pharmacy fills a typical prescription, the pharmacy takes a code from the bottle in which the drugs came in, and, and that code describes the manufacturer and the drug. The payer then uses that information to determine how much the pharmacy should be reimbursed for that prescription medication. In a compounded medication, on the other hand, the pharmacist is using bulk medications to create a new product. There is no set code for the compounded prescription, and the amount of payment is often at issue. Since the compounded prescription does not have the benefit of modern manufacturing facilities that make sure the medication is evenly distributed throughout the prescription, the patient and his or her payer must trust that the pharmacist has actually mixed the ingredients in an accurate manner and has accurately accounted for the ingredients used. So there's a great deal of trust involved in a compounded prescription, which was misplaced in this case. According to the indictment, around August 2017 and continuing for about two years, Mr. Beasley and his co-conspirators began billing Medicare for expensive compounded creams that they never purchased or dispensed. And if they did dispense anything, they provided the Medicare beneficiary with an inexpensive compounded drug cream that was not covered by Medicare rather than the expensive compounded medications supposedly tailored to the patient's needs for which Medicare was built.
1: Now, Henry, since most of what a pharmacist does is unseen by the general public, I think I might have peered over the counter a couple times and seen a tech counting pills once or twice. How did Mr. Beasley get caught? That's a good question, Hala.
0: In past episodes of the Kickback Chronicles, we have discussed some bad schemes and the plain and obvious ways that individuals got themselves caught. But here, Mr. Beasley was caught for a very simple reason, his inventory. Remember that Mr. Beasley is telling the government that he is using expensive ingredients to create his concoctions. So the government wanted Mr. Beasley to show them his inventory records that that evidenced his use of those expensive raw ingredients. Unfortunately for Mr. Beasley, his inventory records plainly showed that NH Pharmacy never purchased enough of the expensive prescription drugs to fill the prescriptions for which NAH Pharma billed Medicare. In total, Mr. Beasley and his co-conspirators received more than $1 million in Medicare reimbursement. The government alleged that he did not use enough raw material to justify that reimbursement. Mr. Beasley disagreed with government and decided to roll the dice and take his chances with a jury. Not a good move. Simply put, the jury considered the inventory evidence put on by the government and and agreed with government that Mr. Beasley did not purchase enough of the raw materials needed to prepare the compounded prescriptions for which he billed the Medicare program. Last week, Mr. Beasley was convicted of conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud and three counts of healthcare fraud. He is to be sentenced on April 25th and faces a maximum of 10 years in prison on each count. There's also a civil forfeiture count in the indictment, so the federal government will be relieving Mr. Beasley of much, if not all, of his ill-gotten gains. But I'm betting that the feds and the state government are not done there with Mr. Beasley. While not discussed in the indictment, in addition to the time that he will spend in club fed, Mr. Beasley has probably filled his last prescription. I'm willing to bet that the State Board of Pharmacy will use his criminal conviction to revoke his pharmacy license, and the OIG will use that criminal conviction to exclude him from participation in all federal health care programs for at least five years. But even with a million dollars in fraud and the other penalties that are sure to follow, Hala, please tell us why this case was not the largest pharmacy-related settlement we found in the past week.
1: You are correct, Henry. So now we're going to move from the criminal arena, leave that behind, and we're going to discuss two civil pharmacy-related billing settlements that occurred last week. So our next case takes us across the country to California to focus on a Silicon Valley startup online pharmacy known as the Pill Club. Now, the Pill Club is a relatively new national online woman's pharmacy. The company was started in 2016 and delivers things like birth control, STI testing kits, and skincare products directly to your door. And the big gimmick with this company is everything's online. There's no traveling to a doctor's office or a local pharmacy for any of these things. Now, these types of products are covered by California's Medicaid program, Medi-Cal, a program that has made several appearances on our show so far. And the problem is that they are only covered if you follow all the outlined conditions for Medi-Cal to cover them and something the pill clubs seem to forget, but only if the individuals actually request and want these products. So, as part of its allegation medical alleged that the pill club dispensed and submitted for costly products that customers had not asked for and submitted for reimbursements for ineligible services and prescriptions over the course of a three-year investigation it was found that the pill club defrauded medical in several ways so the first was billing for services it had never rendered a classic So, for example, investigators found multiple instances in which the company had submitted claims for 30-minute face-to-face counseling sessions when, in reality, the pill club's nurse practitioners never had direct or real-time contact with those patients. They would just rubber stamp prescriptions for things like birth control after spending just a few minutes reviewing a case or questionnaire that the patient had filled out online. And it didn't just happen once or twice. Investigators found over 3,000 instances of claims submitted to MediCal for services that were never actually rendered. Now, another one of the huge areas of fraud was that the Pill Club dispensed enormous quantities of costly products customers had not asked for. So, for example, investigators found that the Pill Club dispensed shipments of FC2 female condoms to multiple female MediCal beneficiaries, who had no interest in receiving or using these devices. The company then billed Medi-Cal for those products at prices that were on average 250% higher than the retail price. This product would also be sent out as part of a bundle when patients requested emergency contraception without the option to opt out of the bundle. Additionally, the Pill Club regularly sent out the maximum quantity of FC2s to new patients, And when I say massive, I mean it was just ridiculous numbers that aren't just an accident or a little freebie you throw in. So sometimes as many as 96 FC2s were dispensed at a time to a single patient. And if you're wondering how that adds up financially, the Pill Club was reimbursed as much as $2,200 for a single prescription delivery. And this all continued even after patients asked to stop receiving them. So to settle these claims and allegations, the Pill Club agreed to dish out just over $15 million to California's Department of Justice and $3.3 million to the Department of Insurance. And with this just being a national pharmacy, something tells me that this might be the tip of the iceberg when it comes to claims against them.
0: Now for case number three. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, we returned to California and the Medi-Cal program for our third case this week involving a $215 million civil settlement against Centene Corporation over allegations that this national healthcare company overcharged Medi-Cal by falsely reporting higher prescription costs incurred by two of its managed care plans. Between January 2017, and December 2018. The California Health and Wellness and HealthNet reported inflated figures for the cost they incurred in providing prescription drugs to patients. Centene leveraged the advantages in its pharmacy benefit manager contracts to save its managed care plans $2.70 per prescription drug claim over the two-year period. Apparently, that amount added up Because California Attorney General alleged that Centene and its pharmacy benefit manager, PBM, failed to disclose or pass on these discounted fees to Medi-Cal, which inflated fees and drug costs reported to California. This resulted in a settlement of $215 million in a civil settlement. The California Attorney General has announced that this amount is twice the value of Centene's inflated price reporting and ensures full restitution to the Medi-Cal program. And just as predicted with the Pill Club case, Centene is taking hits in states across the country for this same scheme. In fact, it recently settled for an additional $44.4 million in Iowa and $66.5 million in Indiana. That's all for this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about the False Claims Act, the Anti-Kickback Statute, the Stark Law, changes to those laws, and much, much more, consider joining Dan Mahalan and myself in Phoenix, November 16 to 18, 2023, for our next seminar. In the interim, be sure to check out the Horty Springer website to find out how to receive our free weekly newsletter, The Health of Law Express, as well as for more information about new and upcoming opportunities on this and many other health law-related topics.
1: Thanks for listening and tune in next time to the next edition of the Kickback Chronicles so you can keep learning from the misfortune of others.